Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. People, what's happening and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest baddest podcast in the land. We're here with the dopest topics. Come with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Chris. We're giving sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we pull back the curtain on Annie Malone, life as one of early African-Americans, millionaires, and much more. Chris, what's popping, baby? Man, it's your world, Jules. What's the good word, brother? Good word is just number work. Work, work, <laughs> work, work, and more work. Got to pay them bills. Yes, sir. But everything's good, man. I'm still winning, man. I'm still winning. I love it, bro. The garage is finally down. Oh, really? Okay. Okay, good. So next is rebuilding. Oh, well, I guess they got laid out the, the foundation, the concrete and stuff, right? Or Yeah, that part. Got to get the plans. Got to get the architecture to, to put the plans together for the, the, the new rebuilds. And so I'm thinking probably about four weeks, we'll probably be able to kind of get everything kicked off. Ooh, I can't wait. Dude, right now, it's funny. So when I look outside now, and I can see clean across to like two or three houses down, like straight ahead, and I'm like, man, I don't like this. Now I ain't got no privacy no more. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, right. Yeah, because they can just look right in your back. Right in your back. I'm like, okay. man, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, you got to make sure them blinds are closed, man. Walk around naked. They can check you out. <laughs> <laughs> you got some Jager Hoovers around here. <laughs> oh yeah big brother always watching and listening now always <laughs> always right that's big yeah, brother yeah keep them gotta keep them blinds closed i only keep the shows for the only fans there you go <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just playing. I don't have one of those yet. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, let me let me stop let me stop clowning, man. So uh, (laughs) before we get into the nuts and bolts of the episode, Jules, let's go through some of our mailbag questions. So okay, the first one came over from George Bailey, and so George Bailey wanted to know from both of us what is the best piece of advice that we've received in life? And I'm going to let you hit this first. Wow. Best piece of advice. That is, I got so much advice coming up throughout the years. Um, but <laughs> I can, I, I, I will go with, with my mom. I was in the fifth grade and I remember it's just like it was yesterday. I was in the fifth grade and I was failing. My mom told me that the school wanted to hold me back. Now, I know they don't do these uh, hell people, kids back nowadays. They just pass you. But it, yeah. it, we were coming up, yeah, if you didn't pass the curriculum, you you stayed. Right. And they didn't care about that either. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so they just didn't move you along. So so they wanted to hold me back. My mom sat me down. I remember we was in the kitchen. And she talked to me and she was like, now, baby, is the work hard? She asked me, was the work hard? And I said, no. She said, they want to hold you back. They feel that you cannot do the work, that you can't comprehend, and that you need to repeat the fifth grade. And I was just down, like, wow. You know, my friends are going on, and I didn't know what to say. It was just, wow. She said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to prove them wrong. When she said that, she lit this this fire under me. And from then, I believe I made the honor roll. And ever up. since That's then, I passed, you know, went on to the next grade and next grade and passed uh, uh, grade school with uh, with honors. Man, I love that. You know what I love about that story the most is uh, that's just the love of a mother, man, because she never stopped believing in you. And I, and I love mm-hmm. hearing that story. You know what I mean? Because she's oh. probably listening to this person saying something about her kid. And she's like, that's not the son I know. Mm-hmm. Right. Most definitely. <laughs> man, most definitely. Her words and her love, and she was just, she said that, and I didn't even look back. I ain't gonna lie, man. Mama do got a way with words. I know it's, it's some times that she didn't see me cutting up, and then she say a couple little things to me. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> man. <laughs> oh, man. That's a really good one, though, man, because you know what I, what I like the most about that one, Jules, is there's a lot of times in people's lives where they'll have someone that'll say, oh, this person can't do this, right? Or the world will kind of put their finger in your face and tell you that you can't do something. And I think that mm-hmm. having that support system and having somebody to say, you know what? No, fuck that. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> right. Right. We, you got it. And we ain't going to let anybody else dictate otherwise. Yep. And you proved them wrong. And I proved them wrong, man. Whoo. And he's been winning ever since, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> man, that was, man, that advice there, man. I take that and I'll pass that on to anybody, man. Right. You can even do that with your with your little ones down the road, mm-hmm. man. That, that's yes, just sir. one of those things. That's, that's the gift that keeps on giving. So I love that. Man, how about you, Chris? Mine came from a former sales VP when I was at CareerBuilder. And this was earlier in my career. So as a lot of listeners probably remember, I told the story about when I bet on myself and basically took the pay cut when it's entry-level sales. And this guy kind of took an interest in me and my development and basically said to me, look, said, I see something different in you, 
But he said, I'm going to tell you one little piece of advice here. And he said, you can either take it or you can leave it. But he said, play now and pay later or pay now and play later. So I'm going to repeat okay. that. Play now and pay later mm-hmm. or pay now and play later. So that shit, when he told me that, I had to think about it for a second. I'm saying, oh, man, this guy's telling me that um, I got a little bit of maturing that I need to do. Because he's basically saying, hey, you got some potential, man. But if all you want to do is, is be a knucklehead and, and you know, and not take this thing serious, you're going to pay for it down the road. So basically, put the work in now. And then if you want to kick back and enjoy yourself, then you can do that down the road. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you one thing, that changed up my whole approach. And it actually forced me to make a lot of sacrifices to set myself up for the future. So during that time, I mean, when we're young like that, man, we're making this kind of money. And when we grew up in the hood, like Jules says a lot, we didn't have access to a lot of things. So when I had a little bit of money in my pocket, it was burning a hole in my pocket. And so this guy basically pulled me to the side and said, man, you need to invest your money. You need to save your money. You need to (laughs) live for another day. That was probably the best advice that I got. And it really led me down my current path to financial freedom that I've always talked about on this show. And so I really, really love that advice. Play now and pay later or pay now and play later. So best advice uh, I ever received. Oh, man, that's what's up there, man. Like you say, that financial freedom, how to set your money up for the long haul. Right. But also to taking advantage of opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was in a unique opportunity and it was a startup environment it was basically the wild, wild west. So it was like, basically, hey, if you want if you want it, go get it. And that was like one of those things where it's like, man, put this work in now, man, where you can, where you can coast later. Because I'll tell you one thing, man, the way I'm looking at this thing now, we're going to build this media empire and I'm getting out of this corporate world in the next five years, bro. I'm done. And Uh-oh, there you go. So that's that's just my attitude, you know? So we on the path. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we playing now and playing later. That's right. There you go. See, now now Jules is on it. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. And that's good. That's a good advice, man, because like you say, you take that with everything. You can take it with anything. Anything. With anything. Man, you pay now, you put in the work now, and you get to play later. You get your joy later. That's right. Man. So applicable, man. So applicable. Yeah. All right, we got Man, a couple. Good question. That was a good, good question. That was a good question. Yeah, I like really that. good question. Yeah, it made me think for a second because, like you said, you get so much advice and you kind of have to like put it through a lens and say, "Man, what was the advice that I really hung on to?" And I think that was one of the ones for me. Mm. All right, we got a couple more questions, Jules. So Terrence Collins, he wanted to know since he he realizes that we go back a little bit. He said, "What is one thing about the other person that stands out to you?" Oh man. oh man well that's an easy question for me that's easy answer as far as with prayers my man prayers it's just your your determination man that drive man that drive is just you have the mamba mentality you know and that's what everything you do everything you do you put your your best foot forward and you want to be the best at, at what you do in which that discipline it's it's tight, man. You look up to that. And that's why I look up to you with that. That's why I got you, you know, want to give you that heat, man, for, because that's what I look at you as, man. This 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 driven person who just headstrong and just know what he wanted. 
and he care for people and just want the best for people and and for his friends and family stuff. That's what I look at, man. And and doing things for people out there just don't even know because it's in your heart to. Man, that's man. I, I got that question. I was like, oh man, oh that's the easy one for me. <laughs> man, that, that's humbling to even hear you say that. I really appreciate that, man. Uh, for me, when I think of my man Jules, I'm gonna say a couple things. This is a guy that I've known since I was 14. And the time that I've known him, I've never known this man to hold a grudge towards anyone. Think about that for a second. <laughs> I've known this man for over, what, 27 years now at this point? Man, man. I'm going to tell you one thing. Nobody can say that about press. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down there, Jules. <laughs> but oh man, I but I look back at a lot of moments over the years. I mean, e- even between me and Jules, I mean, we've had difficult conversations and moments. I mean, we played sports together, right? So there's always that spirited mm-hmm. trash talk and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But sometimes some people in Jules, you know uh, who I'm talking about. Sometimes we'd be out there playing football and some people didn't know how to rein that stuff in. But I would say for you, no matter what those difficult conversations were and moments, you never let that affect our relationship in the brotherhood. And that's one thing that I say oh, about man. you. Man, 100%, like, dude, something that I definitely appreciate about you. But another thing, he ain't about no negativity. That's one of the things where you could just sit and talk to a guy and it's no bullshit. You know, good-ass heart. And he's as laid back as they come. But I'll tell you one thing, don't take his laid-back nature for weakness. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's about that life and he can throw hands. He can throw hands. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a different side, yeah. Yeah, that's a different side. Now I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this though, but Terrence, I got one negative about Jules. My only Uh-oh. issue with this man was his random ass Deion Sanders fandom when we were growing up. I never understood <laughs> that shit. Dude, he's the greatest, the greatest football player ever, man. You stop it right now. I'm muting your mic. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and the great and the greatest baseball player. You 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 so. You heard my my top five of we had the the baseball podcast. Yeah, I remember that. Man, no, I was, I'm just yeah, that was that was that was season one when you lost your way. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just play, no, I was just playing on that one. Hey man, I still remember. I said I said Dion Sands said joking. You was like, wait a minute, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> it was a pause. He was like, wait a minute, what what was that? No, no, man. I'm just joking about it. <laughs> that was funny, though. <laughs> but no, man, I mean, so I mean that. Like, I just want people to know with this guy, man, we always talk about, man, there need to be more people that wear the badge that are good men and that are decent men. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you one thing. We have that here. I wish there was more like this guy here. So I really appreciate the brotherhood oh, man. and, man, all love and all respect, bro. Oh, man. Likewise, man. I appreciate the kind words, man. Yes, sir. All right. Last mailbag question came over from Jasmine Phelps. And so she wanted to know from us who would be our five dinner guests, people dead or alive? You know, Perez, that was a, it was so many people I wanted to have dinner with. But I was like, well, I only need, I can only do five. So, yep. So, 
Martin Luther King Jr. I wanted to get with him because Martin Luther King led the civil rights movement and he was he was a young man. He was a young man doing it. And I wanted to just get with him and just pick his brain on what was going through his mind. What was his strategy to do this? Because this was this movement is just it's big, it's huge. I just wanted to pick his brain on that one. That's a goal. Man, my next one was Malcolm X. Brother Malcolm. A powerful, powerful brother, great speaker. But I wanted to ask him, did he knew when he spoke out against his 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 leader, his messenger, that he put his himself, his life on the line? Because that's something huge to do. I'm gonna speak out against the person who, who who brought me, who reformed me, because you found out things and he exposed them. Yep, the truth came to light. Yep. And let's be honest, Elijah was a powerful brother. Yeah, he was. And we saw just how powerful. Yeah. Next one, Harriet Tubman. Okay. That's right. Man. Underground. Underground. Man, I just want to pick her brain on when she made her freedom. What went through her mind when she wanted to get back and bring back more of her people? Because you might get some cats out there like David they made it. They ate. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Like, oh, I'm good. But she went back and kept bringing bringing people back and back. And then after that, she had a, she had a, a part to play in the Civil War. Uh, fourth, Barack Obama. We can talk basketball. We can talk. I know you like the weight lift and the exercise and and dapper stuff, you know. So we just just talk about anything with, with Barack. And the last last cat will be William Henry Johnson. Now I know he's not very very known, but I wanted to rap because I when we was doing when we did our Harlem Renaissance episode, I came across William Henry Johnson. Now he was in the United States Army. He was a soldier under the uh, the three six nine Infantry Regiment. Okay, they were also called the Harlem Hellfighters. With that, Henry Johnson ended up fighting off multiple German soldiers close quarter combat and end up saving his fellow soldiers. I just want to get with him and be like, hey man, teach me some of the moves, man, because he fought off multiple people with just his knife and, and just, just fighting. And I just want to get with him and just, hey man, just show me some of that stuff you did out there. That's what's up. That's a that's a pretty good five. And and I remembered when we did that episode last week, and that was a name that came across in my research as well. So man, yeah, you can't go wrong with that one. That's a really good five dinner guest. Let me think on mine real quick. I'm going to go with the first one's going to be my grandfather. I never got to meet him. So he passed away four years oh, before wow. I was born. I would love to break bread with him because obviously everyone knows how, you know, my grandmother, how much she means to me, but I would like to have gotten to know the person that, you know, married her and, you know, brought her up from Tennessee and gave her a home and all that good stuff. And also, too, you know, there's like resemblances that I see in pictures of, you know, me and him. So it just be kind of cool to like break bread with somebody that like looks like me and kind of get some a feel for kind of his mannerisms and, and what he was all about. And I heard nothing but great things about him. But just, it would have been nice that for me to have had my own, uh, you know, impressions. So Man, that's the first one. The second one, I'm going with Dave Chappelle. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I love Dave because he 
is his own person. And he's a man of principle. A lot of mm-hmm. people re- remember when he walked away from that $50 million deal with Comedy Central because he thought that they wanted him to do things that were against, you know, his moral code. And as a man, sometimes you have to be about more things than just money. And so that's somebody that I really respect. And let's be honest, he turned that he turned that damn uh, money down and he went back and got it in the future anyway. And he actually got more money. So sometimes you got to bet on yourself and believe in yourself. And so Dave Chappelle, that would be the second uh, guess for me. The third one will be Maya Angelou. I love poetry. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman an amazing voice. I could just sit there at the dinner table and just listen to her speak and just be just in awe of her. I mean, just everything about her was just like regal. It's like royalty. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, Maya Angelou, I mean, say nothing more with her. Like that would just be a phenomenal dinner guest. And I would probably just be sitting there just like the whole time, just like, I can't believe I'm having dinner with her. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Wow, that's a good one. My fourth one would be Barack Obama. So to Joe's point, I mean, come on, like first black president, the guy is the epitome of cool swagger. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can just imagine him just walking his cool ass in a dinner. I'd just be like, man, sit your ass down, Barack. But (laughs) (laughs) But I I like him because, man, he, you know, he's, he's athletic. You know, he got a little style to him. You know, she got the baddest mm-hmm. wife in the room, Michelle, you know, so it's like Barack, got, he got a lot going for him and just cool ass dude. So I, that's somebody I would love. And I bet he got stories for days. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> the uh, the last one, Jules, and for Jasmine, Bob Marley. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So I, I pretty much have on a very eclectic dinner table. <laughs> dude, that's a good one. That's a good one. And I would just say for Bob, the guy was just all about good vibes. And for me, as Jules mentioned, I sometimes can, you know, run a little hot. <laughs> and so, you know, but that's just, you know, determination and just wanting to succeed. But I think having somebody like that that was so centered and so chill, being able to break bread with this individual and just say, hey, man, <laughs> I want to see the world in kind of like the lens that you see it, you know, and obviously, let me smoke some of what you got real quick, too. But, you know, so it'll be like one of those type of things. <laughs> and, then I'll, and then I'll eat up all that food at dinner. So, yeah, so that was my <laughs> that was my five dinner guests. Nice, man. That was a good man. That's a man. That's a good one. That's a good five. I feel like we had, we, a, had we had a powerful five, didn't we? Oh, yeah, man. Well, yours sound like a party there. Boy. I wouldn't mind like to crash that one. See, there you go. You can come over. Leave Malcolm, though. Don't bring him over to our party because uh, Malcolm, I heard, is a little bit of a buzzkill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll probably have to I'll probably have to piece him out a little bit. Like, hey, man, hey Malcolm, I got to run, do some yeah. stuff right quick, man. But I'll hit you back later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, don't tell him you're coming over to kick it with us. <laughs> right. <laughs> he'd, be like, he'd be like, so is it going to be marijuana there? <laughs> yeah right. I'll be getting this lecture, boy, or this pre this this this, this sermon. I'm like, ah, uh, mm. you're like, I get it. I know. I want any pork at dinner. I got it. Right. <laughs> hey man, I ain't gonna lie to. I ain't gonna lie to Malcolm, man. I'm like, dude, I'm eating some pork, man. <laughs> I'm Jules like, I'm, gonna get, I'm getting me some limbs. <laughs> I'm like, man, it cold. It, it's food. Yeah, I need to eat. Malcolm ain't trying to hit up. 
He like, nope, he would give you a whole lesson. Malcolm had a price spin if you told him something like that. <laughs> it was spin. Yeah. I'm like, put that, I'm like, put that porch out in my man. Get them leave them lips greasy. <laughs> you, you, you ignorant. <laughs> Get them lips greasy. Get them lips greasy, man. You are a fool. Come on, that, that bacon. Woo. In the that, morning, at breakfast. That man will break out in a cold sweat listening to you talk like what? Yeah, you ain't kidding. And then, and then offer you a bean pie and tell you to have a seat. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> You know what? I, I never had one of those, but I, I would buy them to help those dudes out. And they'd be like, hey, do you want it? I was like, no, nah, just give it to the to the next person. I'm cool. Yeah. I just want to help y'all out. Yeah, me too. I ain't never, I ain't never bean pies like, mm. No, nah, you got some sweet potato, though. I'll take it, but uh, I'm getting on the right. bean pie. Hey, you know what? You know what, Press? Can I pose a question? What you got? I want to pose a question to you and, and our viewers. Real easy question. Nothing, you know, <laughs> nothing too crazy. SpaceX. SpaceX is preparing to send civilians to space. Okay. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk announced, he said he'd be able to get humans to Mars by 2026. So my question is, will you take that trip? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. They ain't getting rid of me. <laughs> me too. I was like, ah, trip to Mars. What I'll do up there? Yeah, I'm out. Dude, and then it's $55 million from what I understand with that thing too. Yeah, it's a little bit off my pay grade. <laughs> Man, even, dude, even if they would give me that for free, I'm like, why you want me to go there? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. I heard that and I was like, damn, a trip to Mars. And let's just say if it's just, let's just say it's it's doable. Would you go? Would I go? And I was just thinking, I was like, man, I don't know. I don't think I'll, I'll do that. Hey, I'm not too, too big on flying. But then you, you going straight up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man. Cause, cause like you said, I'm already, man, I'm not too keen on flying. I mean, obviously I do it cause I have to, mm-hmm. but man, I ain't doing that to go no damn Mars. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. So I would wonder what our viewers think. Would they, would they go, would they go out the world, man, and hang out in Mars for a little bit? Well, listeners, you heard the question there from Jules. Hit us up and let us know your thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a couple things before we get into the actual episode. So we saw that, man, across most of the damn states in this in this country, we had a damn winter storm and a winter freeze that would hit us here in Chicago. Jules was probably shoveling out snow. I was shoveling out snow, digging out yeah. cars. It was a, it was a nightmare. Oh, but yeah. in Texas... There were millions of people that were left without electricity. Mm-hmm. Jules, did you happen to see what one of the mayors in Texas had the nerve to say about people? Man, look, he said only the strong will survive. Him, he, he being Tim Boyd. Yeah. He said, and that's the mayor, the former mayor of uh, was it Colorado, uh, Colorado City, Texas. He said only the strong will survive and the weak will perish. I'm a little lost for words. What what are we? surviving in, in week what are we is it war or something or what <laughs> dude in Colorado City there's 4,000 residents 4,000 okay, so. residents that put his ass in, in, in office good lord and you would say when a natural like a disaster like a you know a weather which knocked out power and stuff and your thing is you think they won't handouts because it's a hand it's first of all is a handout because they don't have power in running water mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm not understanding that. And 
I think for me too, one of the things uh, that I thought about Jules is I had been complaining about shoveling and I had been complaining about the garage. And then when mm-hmm. I saw the stuff that was going on where these people legitimately lost power, had no electricity, no heat in their homes. Yes. And then I'm like, man, dude, right. I'm like, I'm very fortunate. Right? I'm like, man, sometimes you got to you know, check that you know, at the door sometimes when we complain about things. And then I started thinking about friends and family that I have in the area. So then I started sending out texts and making calls to make sure that people were good. And I found with a couple of people, man, they had really tough weeks. One of my partners, he said they went four days without electricity and they actually had to leave their wow. house. And they yeah. had to, they had to stay with uh, someone else that they knew in town that still had power. But imagine if they didn't have that person that they could have stayed with, what what would they have done? I mean, we we're looking at it was cold. Texas people, Texas, mm-hmm. snow, cold mm-hmm. in Texas, they're not used to that. It's different with us, Press. Mm-hmm. The power go out. Hey, we got candles. We uh, there's certain things we can do. We got generators, and and yep. if you're fortunate to have generators. But you got candles, you got blankets, you just sat in one room. Yeah. Seal that damn room off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We sat in one room. We had candles. You know, we had stuff to eat. And and mm-hmm. it actually for us, it'd be it'd be fun because we just be tripping out and laughing and stuff like that. Because we're used to, you know, we we deal with it. We, you know, in the wintertime we get snow, we get cold. That's you know, that's why it's called a halt, the windy city, all that. Mm-hmm. But people in Texas, Thank my you, God. Sir. They're not used to that. They don't have like snow trucks and salt. And I mean, I, I imagine they, they had to close down the city. Yeah. But another thing that I thought about, Jules, when this situation happened was it brought up my thoughts about how our infrastructure here in this country, sometimes it shows that our infrastructure is fucked. Because now I get the point that people make that this is Texas and this is rare for this, this to happen. But this is still mm-hmm. Texas. And this is still one of like the biggest states in the U.S. And True. the what the weather forecast still predicted that this stuff was going to hit. So I wondered why weren't they able to prepare for it? So then I did a little bit more research and I found out that what it was is their whole power grid situation is run by a nonprofit organization, and that nonprofit organization provides ninety percent of that state's electricity. And it serves like 26 million customers. So they use a wide range of things to get their electricity, natural gas, wind, solar, coal, and then nuclear. So what happened was because this sudden cold streak came in, it put all of their resources to the test. And because of the demand was so high, (laughs) they basically weren't prepared. Apparently what it said is, is that they didn't properly plan and account for what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much why their people were at, at odds here with this situation. So that so we know what it is. Tim Boyd, the, for, the former mayor, he he couldn't take the pressure. Well, so he's like, he's a little small piece of the puzzle here. But right. I think right. when you look at somebody like him, he just don't get it. He's out of touch, right? Mm-hmm. And is going and making these comments. Because I get you, his ass has some damn heat. Yeah, right. And it's always the people that talk down to folks and telling them how they should do something. But you live in an ivory tower over there. What are you telling me? Like, remember during the pandemic, you had all these rich and famous people telling everybody to stay home. I'm like, well, if I lived in a mansion on 35 damn acres, I'd probably stay my ass at home, too. Right. You have is everything there. 
I mean, right. you have pools and food and many rooms and nothing but fun. I mean, right. So you like easier said than done, yeah. <laughs> right? But this idiot mayor, to your point, bro, he's dumb. Telling people to quit crying and stop looking for a handout when they're basically trying to make sure that they don't die and trying to make sure that their kids and family are are safe. I mean, it's just stupid. I don't know yeah. if you peeped, but he also turned in a letter of re- resignation. I don't know if that happened before or after he put them Facebook posts up, but he when he was doing all these posts, he also said that I've sent in my letter of resignation. So I don't know what triggered him to go off, but man, it's just sad when you when you hear people that have these mentalities, and these are the people that are positions of power. It's just really frightening. Oh, man, I'm glad he's, dude, I'm glad he's out of, out of office because that don't make no sense. That don't mm-hmm. make any sense. Dude, you're the mayor. You a, you, you know what that means? You're a city manager. That's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yep. got these people that voted for you in office, and you still up there with the first sign of trouble, then, hey, man, I'm going I'm to just say some random stuff and resign. No, man, you a coward. Yep, you, you quit, man. You, you, you quit. You a quitter, but you telling everybody to to man up, right? <laughs> okay. Exactly. Okay. You know what? Fuck they need to here. get somebody in there that care about the people and not about himself. And it's unfortunate it takes something like this happen to get that man out of office. But man, if any people in, in that town in Texas, hey man, if, if, if there's always a silver lining out of these things, and, and I believe getting that man out of office is was one of them. Absolutely, man. One last point on Texas that I thought was really interesting when when I was looking at this story. So they said that there was a county in Houston that had to hurry up and try to administer, I think it was almost 10,000 doses of the uh, Moderna vaccine. And the reason why is because they were concerned that those the vaccines were going to not be able to be utilized. Because as you guys remember, we did our COVID-19 episode you have to store that Moderna vaccine at temperatures, I think they're between minus 13 degrees and five degrees Fahrenheit. So what happened was when they lost power, the freezers lost power. And then those backup generators failed as well. So now you had even more of a situation on your hands, not only with people being, you know, not having power, but then also individuals that you're trying to roll out this this uh, COVID vaccine to. So it was just a lot of different things that were going on all at the same time. So a very unfortunate situation. That's a mess. People, man, we're praying for a hey, out there in Houston. And there are other spots. You know, Mississippi uh, has some people out there. They Some family out there, they called and said they had cold weather and stuff. Nothing like in Texas. Mm-hmm. But still, we, send it, we see in states that normally it's, it's warm, it's hot. It's nice to really have weather like this. And they're getting weather like that. Man, that ozone, that global warming, that's serious. Yep. And that's the thing that nobody talks about. But this right. climate this climate change is a very serious thing out here. And what I think is we might see more of these extreme winter weathers starting to become more frequent across the U.S. Oh, wow. And, and I think it's going to be very important for us to improve upon our infrastructure because if this kind of stuff happens now, right. they need to be prepared for it going forward. Right. That was a good point. Good point. Because, yeah, you definitely need that grid to, to, to hold up in any condition. Exactly. <laughs> Man, exactly. you can't have people about power and they're not used to that. You know, they need heat, mm-hmm. you know, or you're going to get a lot of people doing some bonfires or something. I don't know. I would. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it was a sad thing, too, because I had saw where there was one 
it was sent to me actually by one of our listeners and they were sharing it just because it was something that touched them. And in this story, there was a family that they decided to sit in their garage and they turned the car on where they could stay warm. And I believe that two of the people died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And that was really sad. Right, right. I did hear about that, right. To stay warm. To stay warm. But this cat wanted to talk about some, 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 the strong survive. Man, come on, brother. Yeah. yeah Stop complaining. <laughs> okay. Okay. Woo wee. Well, I tell bro. you, man. People, man. Come <laughs> on. Mm-hmm. Some people, man. Well, I our hearts go out to anybody that was affected by the events of this week, mm-hmm. especially our listeners in Texas. Man, we thinking about you guys, and you guys are in our thoughts. Yes, sir. We're praying for you. All right, last point here, Jules. Michael Jeffrey Jordan celebrating Uh-oh. a birthday. The GOAT. Okay, Mike. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mike. What he turn? 58? 58. Mm. Ah, man, time go by fast. Man. I still can't believe, man, Mike is going to be almost 60 years old. That's crazy. I might get older while you and I just stay young. That's interesting how that happened. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I received that. Yes, sir. I received that now. Hey, you, hey, you go ahead and speak that again, man. <laughs> but the point you were making earlier when you, you were talking about like just determination and things like that that you were that you were putting on me, which I'm definitely still very humbled by. When we talked about Jordan in that last dance documentary. Our generation, Jules, was so fortunate that we were able to watch an athlete like Michael Jordan up close, right? Mm -hmm. I also Mm -hmm. think, too, Mm -hmm. that we kind of took him for granted. And I know that that probably seems weird to say that, but he was his greatness was something that we just assumed every year we just thought we were going to win. I remember being in college, and I would tell people, oh, we got that. We'll win it again. Now when you look at the fact that this city – that our basketball team is trash. The Bears are trash. Like, we have been so starved. And I think, <laughs> I just think that, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, oh, just, shit. just saying. But okay, we're so starved for any sort of a competitive type of team. And think about those mm-hmm. 90s. We had that in the 90s. And that was because of Michael Jordan. Oh, press. Don't even give me back to talking about the, the 90 Bulls. Man. Oh, man. We were just walking around with our heads up like, yeah, we're running this. Mm-hmm. We're running this. Go out of town and stuff. People like, where you from? From Chicago. Oh, yeah. Michael Jordan and the Bulls. You damn right. That's right. <laughs> damn That's right. right. When I remember when I was younger, when I would go to, to camps and stuff like that, and you tell people you're from Chicago, and they would always say either the Sears Tower or Al Capone, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Right, right, right. Jordan changed all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a winning town. Michael, man, boy, them 90s, it was a good, man, good times. Yep. And I'll say this, man. When I think of Jordan, I think there's never been an NBA player that has had a bigger impact on our society, the world, and the game of basketball. I mean, think about all of that. You know, you'll have some people that they may be able to say, Oh, well, you know, I won X number of championships. But all of those things combined, nobody's touching Jordan on that. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Mike revolutionized the game, man. Yeah. He he put NBA on the map globally. Yes, he did. Wow. 
Also, too, when Jordan was drafted, the NBA was a center's. It was a big man's league. It wasn't mm-hmm. a guard league. That's why right. Jordan got passed over. He got passed over for big men. Mm-hmm. And he showed you. <laughs> Y'all made mistakes out there, you know. And right. also, Jordan revolutionized the shoe game. The shoe game now, anytime you see people talking about shoes, they're talking about Jordans. And nobody telling them about going and buying a pair of KD shoes. And I love KD. KD's one of my favorite players in the league. Okay. I will never buy a pair of his shoes. And that's no disrespect to him, but I'm mm-hmm. a Jordan guy. I don't care if they released those shoes 10 years ago and they do another re-release with a different color. I'm still buying that shit. <laughs> Dude, how, how bad are you when you come out with retro Jordans, different, different colors, and they sell for more than what the shoe was costing in the beginning? Yep. Yep. I, now, granted, I'm a little different, people. I will never buy them shoes <laughs> because they cost too much for me. I was like, if I buy the shoes, I, w- I would never wear them. It would just be a collector's item and I have to sit on these things. I, I can't see myself paying all that money for the shoes. That's just me. And see, that's why this month, that's why I almost called you something. That's why he didn't buy that snowblower. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm not going to lie. Them shoes are tight. They dope, man. I like what he's doing with the shoe game. And you know what? I never say never because I might have to scoop me up some. And you got to, bro. You got <laughs> to. Just one pair, man. at least. You know, I'm just, I'm a little, sometimes I can be a little cheap. I can, man, I just hmm. need to live a little. <laughs> he said it. <laughs> <laughs> and money ain't the issue. That's the thing. No, I know it ain't. But you still, <laughs> man, you still be tight like them Las Vegas slot machines, though, bro. <laughs> Damn. I'm on them penny slots. I'm on them penny slots all day, man. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what, though? I ain't gonna lie. You probably be, would be one of them people that go there, put like $5 in a penny slot, and just hit the button and win a jackpot. That's just oh. like, that'd be, that's par for the course for you. Now, that's a big profit there, Press. Big profit. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here at the blackjack table over here, like losing my damn livelihood, and Jules will come back over. I just hit $10,000 jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, would you be happy? Would you be happy for me, Press? Yeah, I ain't a hater. Okay, cool. But then I'll just have to go back to the ATM. But like, I gotta give me ten thousand dollars now. When we was out there in that, that one casino, man, you taught me how to how to uh, play blackjack, man, which I appreciate, man. I had oh, fun yeah. though. Yeah, see, I had you. You know what? You was actually pretty good at it too. Yeah, I was doing. Yeah. I, hey, I was over my own, man. Yeah, I, was I saw you own. over there. Yeah, listeners, you see, Jules had that determined look on his face. I was like, okay, Jules is ready. And he he started hitting. All, all of a sudden, I started his chips starting stacking up. I'm like, oh, he about to get out of this game real soon. And he did. <laughs> Ten minutes later, he cashed in the chips. <laughs> I'd like to cash this out, please. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you are. Man. You are a fool. But no, man, so... Mm. <laughs> thinking back to Jordan, to me, still greatest of all time. Happy birthday, Mike. Now let's get into the show. Today, we're going to be covering the story of Annie Malone. So for a lot of people, you guys may not be familiar with who she is. So she was an innovator in the hair care industry, and she had a lot of different unique hair products for the Black community. So Annie was a very shrewd businesswoman philanthropist, entrepreneur, and a leader in the Black community. Her story 
though Jules and for our audience, is one that's rarely told. Annie was the 10th of 11 children. And what makes her story even more fascinating to me is that she was born to parents that were enslaved. Her mother had to escape slavery in Kentucky after her dad went to fight for the Union in the Civil War. Now, what her mother did was she took her children and traveled to Illinois to escape slavery. And that's pretty much where Annie was born. So she was born, her mother was pregnant with her as she basically escaped slavery. One of the stories that I read when I did research for this episode was that Annie's parents died when she was really young. Mm. And she was actually raised by her older sister in Peoria, Illinois. Something that really hit home with me and Jules, I think I had talked about this on a previous episode when I mentioned that my grandmother, she valued education for all of her children, grandchildren, nieces and nephew and everything like that. But she didn't even get to finish elementary school because my grandmother had to drop out of school because she had to work to help provide for the family. Just, you know, because that's how it was during those times. Right. It was all it was all hands on deck. So with the story of Annie Malone, she also dropped out of school. But her situation was a little different because she was sick. And a lot of times she was missing time out of school. So ultimately, she just basically just decided to just go ahead and just drop out of school. But one of the things about her that was really fascinating was that she had an interest in chemistry. And that was something that she actually only really gravitated to because of some of those classes that she took in high school. And it was that interest in chemistry that actually led her to her future of being a successful entrepreneur. Before I'm going to turn this over to Jules to kind of kick it over and, and do his thing, I wanted to just basically just take a step back here and just talk quickly about one of the things that I was really proud when I read the story about Annie. Now, while she was a high school dropout, I thought it was really awesome that she used this time out of school to practice a skill, to learn a trade. She practiced the skill of hairdressing on her different relatives. When she was growing up, the popular style for Black women back in that time was that straight hairstyle. And the reason why that was becoming popular is because a lot of women during that time, they didn't want to wear their hair in that braided cornrow style because a lot of times that was associated with you being a field worker during slavery. So Annie, when she was in Peoria, took an early interest in hair textures. Basically, what she realized was a lot of these old ways that women in, in the old times were straightening their hair, they were unhealthy. So a lot of times they would use soap and oils and butter and, and bacon grease. Yeah, you heard me right. Bacon grease. They would use that stuff to straighten their hair. And I remember my grandmother when I was younger, she would tell me the story. She said that people used to use lye mixed with potatoes. And that was another way that people would straighten their hair. But she said that stuff would burn and you had to get it out of your hair quickly, you know. But when you think about that, these people were going through all these methods to make themselves look better and look, make themselves look presentable. But what it was doing, it was damaging them, right? So the reason why I wanted to salute Annie on this episode today was this was a high school dropout that learned how she could help evolve her people, and she wanted to solve for a problem. And so her goal was to change the fact that her people wanted to look good, 
but she also wanted them to do it in a healthy way. The Jules, I'm going to let you hit that. I just wanted to make sure that we kind of kicked this off and I wanted to give the audience just a full representation of why I was really excited to do this episode about Annie today. So with, with that, she also had guidance underneath her aunt too, which is, uh, she was, she was herbalist. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Her aunt was a herbalist and she studied some of her techniques as well. Now, not only did Annie have the interest in that beauty culture, but it brought out the entrepreneurship spirit within her and was later proven to be a, a ladder of upward socioeconomic mobility. Her new product was called Wonder Hair Grower, and it promoted her new product. She sold it in bottles door-to-door within the Black community. In the 1900s, she moved with her sister to Lovejoy, Illinois. Lovejoy, which later be known as Brooklyn, Illinois. Now, that name started as a, a settlement of an African-American escaped slavery. Later, be, later became the first Black town in America to incorporate the growing town, which called Lovejoy, in honor of the American newspaper editor and abolitionist Elijah Lovejoy. You know, just a little, little tidbit on, on where that name came from. <laughs> now, her product, you know, sales began to revolutionize the hair care methods for many African-Americans. Urged by her friends to expand her business, she moved in 1902 from Southern Illinois to St. Louis, Missouri, where she, you know, she became well-established and decided to market her products, a point where she adapted a sales strategy using agent, you know, training and certifying them in the method. You know, they earned money, you know, they earned money on the hair treatment and a percentage of product sales, which is cool. Also, in, in turn, they trained other agents widening distribution regionally and eventually across the nation. So when our hair salon is in the black communities, we're still, there's still anomalies. There wasn't, wasn't a lot. Mm-hmm. So socially, well, she was still influenced by, it was still influenced by a male dominant workforce. You know, many black merchants and manufacturing and ethnic beauty ads industry were racially male dominant. And it was also undercapitalized too. Annie, she flourished and achieved a success as owner and operator of a network of cosmetic faculties. She also established her own beauty training school by the name of Pearl College. Now, Pearl is a West African word meaning physical and spiritual growth. And that, and that headquarters, she opened that up in, in St. Louis. And that's monumental because, Perez, we're talking about 1902, 1900s, 1902. Mm-hmm. At her own college at Learning and bringing them up. Whatever she knew, she talked to other people and and those and unsung and then some. Jules, that's great points. One thing that I wanted to circle back on because you brought some really good knowledge for people. When you mentioned that Annie moved to St. Louis, mm-hmm. the thing that I thought that was really dope about that part of her journey was she decided to market those products at the St. Louis Exposition. So for anybody <laughs> that's listening to this show. That entrepreneur mindset in her came out to said, I need to go here because this is going to be where I can grow this thing. Because where I'm living now in Peoria, I'm not going to be able to make the type of impact that I need to be able to make with this business. Right? Mm-hmm. And as Jules mentioned, because she did what she did in St. Louis, that thing took off like crazy. They had those agents out there. They were going door to door. One of her sales strategies that I thought was really, really awesome was she would give away samples to people. Say, hey, try it. If you like it, then come back. 
So that would be twofold. Right. When she would give out those samples, people would end up coming back to her to buy, but then most of these women ended up working for her. <laughs> right, right. Catch them. She, that's, that, that's that bait right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so back in those times, the average Black woman earned about $1 to $2 a week, right? Well, agents of the Poro company that, that Jules mentioned, they earned at least $5 a week. And sometimes up to $100 a week. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. When you see this type of situation, the reason why it blew up to Jules' point was that thousands of women were having success and they were thriving under her, and they all wanted to join her team. Now, I wanted to make sure that our audience realized that one of the women that worked under Miss Malone was Madam C.J. Walker. And... There was a Netflix documentary called Self-Made that came out. And for our audience, during that documentary, it spoke to a fictional character by the name of, uh, oh my God, what was her name? Uh, Miss Monroe. Mia Monroe, I believe. Right. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that I didn't like about that portrayal is it was all negative. Because even if there was a dispute between the two of these women, Whatever it was that Madam C.J. Walker learned by working with Ms. Malone, it made her successful in life. And I think there was more than enough credit to that it could have gone around with both of these women being successful in this industry that I didn't like the fact that it felt like to me that they were trying to kind of smear the memory or the, the thought process of people when it came to Annie Malone. Even though they didn't use her by name, that was pretty much what they were referring to. It also makes me wonder, so when I was doing research for this episode, Jules, they talked about the fact that Ms. Malone suddenly started to try to patent and trademark all of her stuff and for her product line. And it was right around the time that Madam C.J. Walker left to start her own business. So when I saw that, I wondered, oh, is this a situation where she learned trade secrets? And she said, okay. I got it. Now I'm about to go ahead and make this happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I just I just didn't like the way that she was portrayed in that in that docuseries. And also, a lot of people may not realize this, Jules, but Madam C.J. Walker, she was not the first black millionaire. A lot of times people put that title on her, but they don't realize that the actual first black millionaires were people that lived during the Reconstruction era. And so if anybody is not a a history buff, that was the period right before and after the Civil War. Now, the reason why a lot of people don't know about the Black millionaires from that time is because the Fugitive Slave Act made being a high-profile and wealthy Black person in this country dangerous. So there were people in that time, Bob Church, Mary Ellen Pleasant, and William Leesdorf. These were all African-Americans that were wealthy, but they didn't come out and ever talk about their wealth because if they would have, they would have been targets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Madam C.J. Walker had the benefit of being able to claim her wealth during that time, but her predecessors were not able to. So they had to keep a low profile and while she was able to kind of flaunt her wealth a little bit. So I just wanted to make sure that people just had a little bit of insight into 
not only the fact that Annie Malone did a lot of great things, but she also went under the radar, but then also the influence that she had on Madam C.J. Walker, who went on to become a millionaire just like Annie Malone. Yeah, because Annie Malone, her assets was up to $14 million. Yes. $14 million. She was one of the... She's paid 40000 in taxes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Man, this hey, this lady here, she was doing it. She ended up patenting that pro agent, her line, because Madam C.J. Walker ended up doing her thing. And she went by Wonderful Hair Grower, the old name that Annie Malone used for her beauty line. But Madam C.J. Walker ended up, you know, doing some tweaks and made it better. But Annie Malone, that's why she ended up had to patent that, that, that pro agent. And she was telling people, don't, you know, be aware of gimmicks, imitation yep. beauty lines. So, like you said, it was plenty of money of going around for both of them, where both of them could get a piece of that pie there. But, you know, I think it's like, you know, it's always robberies, always battling out to see who's the best. And and I'm with you, Brad, as far as with that Netflix series. Uh, I didn't like how they 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 did that, too, because it was almost, it was almost like they was painting. Andy Malone was light-skinned. And Madam C.G. Luck was dark-skinned, mm-hmm. so they was playing off that. And, the, yeah, that just the, wasn't the, a good one. I didn't like that. It was that colorist thing, and that's mm-hmm. the thing that happens in this culture. Yep, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things, too, so you brought up about Coral College. And so that, for the audience, was something that I thought was one of Annie Malone's biggest accomplishments. So you have to think about this. This is somebody that was born to enslaved parents, right? She didn't finish high school. This woman became a giant entrepreneur. She built this huge location in St. Louis. So it had facilities for the beauty college. It had a manufacturing plant, retail stores. And so it was there where all her products were sold. They had business offices. They had a damn 500-seat auditorium, dining and conference rooms, dorms, a gym, a bakery, and a chapel. So... Look at listen to all that stuff that I talk about. Resources, wow. all of that stuff at their disposal. <laughs> so wow. Any place where we were barred from attending because of segregation, she had built something that we could have, that we could hold things, and we could actually be a part of society as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was something that was really phenomenal from doing the research. And then don't forget, Perez, it employed almost 200 people. This thing was before its time. And when she, when things were all said and done, so she had more than probably, from what I remember, and I'm just, I'm just doing this off my memory, I think it was like over 70,000 agents across the world. And this is included mm-hmm. from what I remember, the Caribbean and Africa. Right, right, yeah. North and South America, yep. 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 So think about that for a second. The success from... This thing went from St. Louis to all over the country to (laughs) outside of the country. So like Jules mentioned, she created jobs for so many people, especially black women. And this Poro College, why this was really awesome was that it trained its students on everything from how to sell to how to use the products to basically learn how to walk, talk to dress, to look the part. That's important because during those times, we were still fighting to be respected. You know, we were still during those times looked at as being former slaves. Mm -hmm. And so why I thought that this was so important was it gave these individuals that were Black 
the opportunity for opportunities to advance. And I thought that that was really key, Jules. It gives mm-hmm. himself work. They don't look at it as as share, uh, out there working in the cotton fields, dressing all in raggy clothes, hair all you know kinky and and just just not looking like a human being. Mm-hmm. This right here, what Annie did, she she put you some self she put some self respect in the game in yourself. Mm-hmm. So you can walk around, you have a you have a great job, you look good, you talk good, you live in the American dream. Mm-hmm. And you know, in that time, <laughs> but that was an anomaly. That was unheard of. Mm-hmm. And she, and this lady right here, without a high school or, uh, or or I mean, a college degree, high school degree too. But her passion and her learned and love of of hair and beauty and style and grace and charisma and all that was able to do this. And not only for herself, for for thousands of of women, absolutely. So, obviously, Annie Malone became a multimillionaire, as Jules mentioned. Mm-hmm. She had assets, as he mentioned earlier, that went up to about $14 million. But one of the other things about her that I really loved was that she gave back to her community. So not only was she empowering people by giving them jobs, by teaching them you know, professionalism, teaching them about the way that the business world works, but she also gave back to organizations within her community. So think about the money that she gave to the YMCA's. She gave money to Howard University in D.C. She also gave money to a home in St. Louis. It was a St. Louis colored orphans home. She was president of the board there for probably three decades. Mm. And the home was actually later named to her honor for all her work and all of her donations. So for our audience, when you do research and kind of look at a little bit more information on Annie Malone, you'll actually see that she had donated the first $10,000 that even built the orphanage in the first place. So they had a new building. And so she was responsible for getting that kicked off. She financed the education of full, two full-time students at every historical black mm-hmm. college and university. Come on. Isn't that Press, something? Say, say that again. Two, right, two full-time students. At every historically backed college or university. <laughs> and the donation that she gave to Howard University was one of the largest gifts the university had ever received by a private donor of African-American descent. Mm. That's a legacy. My God. And that, that orphan home that she donated and rebuilt, and they ended up changing the name in her name. Mm-hmm. They renamed the Annie Malone, uh, Annie Malone Drive. Mm-hmm. You know, it was pay homage, pay respect for all what she did. So she was phenomenal. One of the things, though, that I also want to make sure that we can paint the picture for some of the, the struggles that that kind of came her way. So she had some some setbacks that kind of kicked in in the in the late twenties. She got divorced from her second husband. He was also her business partner. So when they were going through the divorce. He wanted half of the business, and he claimed that his ideas of what made the business the success that it was. Now, for other history buffs out there, especially people that understand Black history, Mary McLeod Bethune and a few other Black leaders, they worked with Annie Malone and helped her to come up with a settlement with this uh, ex-husband of hers of $200,000. Okay. So it was this amount that prevented Pearl College from remaining in a court-ordered receivership. 
So they, what they did is they allowed her to be able to save that college because they knew what that college was doing for the culture. So she was able to keep complete ownership of the business that she started. The reason why she was able to do that is because she was already established and had been a millionaire already by the time that she even married her husband. With that also, she moved most of her business to Chicago South Parkway, where she bought an, an entire, entire city block too. Unfortunately, other lawsuits followed. And then also you had the Great Depression that came. Yeah, that hit a lot yeah. of people. Yep. It hit, it hit. And uh, former employees filed suit, also claiming that, you know, her business was still thriving. Well, good thing about it, she was honorary, she was an honorary uh, Zeta Phi Beta sorority and also was awarded a degree from Howard University, which was, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Good stuff. The thing that I wanted to take a step back on, though, because there is a lot of information that we're that we're delivering on her. I wanted to take a step back and say that when she hit some of her hurdles, one of the things that I really loved about her story was the fact that even though she had a lot of obstacles, now you know her business continued to thrive, even though it was smaller in size, it didn't stop her. When she had struggles and adversity that came her way when haters and people were suing her, trying to claim, you know, what she had, because we talk about this all the time on the show, that success breeds envy. And it's a lot of times it's really within our community. And every time someone sued her, she had to fund these lawsuits by selling a property that she owned. And all that kept happening for her was just kept dwindling and dwindling and dwindling her estate. So a woman that was worth most at one point almost $14 million that gave a significant amount of her fortune to help other people. And this is mm-hmm. the person that people decided that they wanted to come after and they wanted to take what she had. And that's the type of attitude that I just don't respect. And I wanted to take a step back there and just pinpoint that of the fact that even still, despite all of that, she still kept moving forward. And she still was out here trying to help other people, despite people trying to take stuff from her that she worked her ass off to to build. Unfortunately, at the end, she had $100,000. And you know what she did? She gave it to her niece and nephew. Mm-hmm. Well, because she didn't have she any kids. Her... Right. She didn't have any kids. So that's why she ended up giving it to her niece and nephew. When I look at her situation, the thing for me was the fact that this is a woman that never obtained a high school diploma, Mm -hmm. was a founder of a college and a pioneer that built an empire selling black hair care products throughout the entire country and the world, became one of the richest women in the country, a philanthropist who gave away millions of dollars to African-American causes and universities and, and organizations. And during these times, when educational and economic opportunities were rare for our people, it didn't stop her from becoming an icon. And I think that that's a really important thing for a lot of people to think on and remember. And we always talk about knowing your worth and not letting people mm-hmm. tell you that you can't do something, not letting people you know, throw barriers up in your way, because there's always a way. This is somebody that was born into slavery. And built an empire from the ground up. No matter what obstacles were thrown her way, she was still able to able to succeed. 
Now, ultimately, the IRS did, as Jules brought up, they were able to take that away from her. But I still think her life story was a success. And her legacy is definitely going to live on. And she's going to be a true example to me of Black excellence. Oh, yes, sir. Just about what we had talked about in the segment today about all the things she accomplished. What you just said on how she didn't finish school, but was able to employ thousands and, and thousands of people mm-hmm. become that millionaire. I mean, her blueprint, her life work is is out there for people to read and study. And also when they're hearing this, they will know more. It's Madam C.J. Walker, She people know that name, but know the, the origin of where she got her start. So her life here, this is why she is an important figure in American history. Yeah, and somebody that more people need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because when I was doing research for this one, I came away from it inspired. And I hope that other people, when they you know look at more about her, you can look at her in the same light that you look at a Madam C.J. Walker, because I think that she's incredibly important as well. But I think that right. you don't have a Madam C.J. Walker if you don't have an Annie Malone. If you don't have any, exactly right. Exactly right. (laughs) The last point that I want to leave our audience with. So today, we have our first generation of Black billionaires. Oprah, Beyonce, Jay-Z, Michael Jordan. MJ, yep. Now, when you look back on the lives of the first African-American millionaires that I talked about from that industrial age, the Mary Ellen Pleasant. Now, think about why she's important. She funded John Brown and the Underground Railroad. Bob Church helped fight lynching, and he backed the early Black politicians of the time. Today's Black elite, they don't have the same obstacles that our predecessors had. The ancestors, man, we owe them so much because they paved this path. I mean, everything that these people did, you imagine these people were great. They succeeded, and they couldn't even be proud of those accomplishments because they were a fear that someone would try to take what they had or ultimately try to harm them. And so I'm going to issue this challenge to our people now. Whether you're a millionaire, whether you're a billionaire, whether you're a 100000 there, we all have to start seizing the opportunity and using our resources, wealth, privilege, whatever it is, to aid in our communities around us, just like the people that came before us. Look at what Annie Malone was doing to try to empower people, sending kids to college, trying to help that next generation. These are the things that we need to be looking at, and these are the things that we need to be doing, because that's how you continue to build these Black Wall Streets all over this country. Press, you brought up Black Wall Street. That was around the same time, nineteen early 1900s, 1910. We talked about we talked about that. We talked about the Harlem Renaissance was around the same time. Now we're talking about Annie. Same time. And they was thriving off the worst situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst situation. So man, you hit it right on the head when if they can do it with we have more, we have things more now than ever than they can ever even dreamed of. And if they if they can do it and achieve more, great, then we can do it too. As you said, we can do it too, man. 
But the silver lining here is, is that we can do it by working together. We can exactly. do it mm-hmm. by pulling our resources together. We can do it by not looking at someone and saying, that's their problem, not my problem. No, it's all of our problem. Because if the people in Tulsa had that type of mindset, we'd have never had a Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. If the people thought like that in Harlem, we'd have never had a Harlem Renaissance. If Martin Luther King would have thought like that, I wouldn't be speaking on this fucking podcast. Mm-hmm. That is what people need to think about. The people before you, that give you the privilege to be able to live the lives that you live freely. That's important. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You can't be selfish. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Jules, man, this was a really good episode. I was really fascinated by this story of Annie Malone. Again, I didn't like the way that history portrayed her. I really respect what Madam C.J. Walker did in her life. She was very vital in the cosmetic industry. But again, Mm -hmm. so was Annie Malone. And I just wanted to make sure that her story was told as well on this show today. Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bro. All right, this curtain call goes out to my to a great man, a great friend, and a great brother, Joseph Donnelly. Last week, Joe had turned 43 years old. Joe pressed myself, all met in high school, and remained close until Joe's unexpected death back in 2012. Joe was a smart individual. When I mean smart, he was like a walking encyclopedia. Anything you talk about, he know, he know all about it. Joe loved to laugh, loved to hang out with his guys. Joe also has a big heart. He helped me out plenty of times. He would definitely be a guest on Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. He started his own cleaning company named Jam Pro Cleaning Services. Joe, we love you. We miss you. We wish you was here. And we shall hang out again. Happy birthday, Joe. Yeah, man, Jules, that's an excellent curtain call. Joe, may you rest in peace. I have so many um, fond memories and thoughts of Joe. I'm going to leave the audience with just this one. When I think of Joe, I think of one of the most impactful, scariest nights of my life. This was the moment that me and Jules and Joe and uh, another friend of ours, Jason, were involved in a uh, single car accident that pretty much nearly took our lives. And Joe, I remember, you know, it was in the backseat during that situation. And we decided at that moment that we refused medical attention. And we made the, the, the great decision, you know, when I use great, I use that very facetiously, decision to leave. <laughs> Jules could tell you it was not the smart decision because as we were driving back, I literally like collapsed into the house at where, where I was growing up. And I remember when I woke up, my mom was there. And I remember the other guy that was involved in the accident was there. And Joe was there. To what Jules was saying about him as a, as a guy, that was somebody that was always there for people. Never asked you for anything, but be the first person of a volunteer and step up to help you out for whatever you need. So that was an amazing curtain call. I really miss that brother. And uh, may he rest in peace. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcast. 
We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.